Hi, you are listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hawkins State, Illinois. You will be hearing a sermon from Pastor Jared Aron. So without further ado, here he is. She called on a little boy and said, Tommy, do you see the tree outside? The boy looked out the window. He said, yes, I see the tree. Tommy, do you see the grass outside? Yes, I see the grass. They said, Tommy, go outside and look up into the sky. So the boy ran out. He came back a minute later. She said, did you see the sky? Tommy said, yes. And the teacher said, did you see God? And the boy shook his head, no. The teacher said, that's my point. We can't see God because he isn't here. He just doesn't exist. One little bold girl stepped up and she said, teacher, can I ask Tommy some questions? The teacher agreed. The little girl said, Tommy, do you see the tree outside? He said, yes. Tommy, do you see the grass outside? Yes. Tommy, do you see the sky outside? Once again, Tommy said, yes. Tommy, do you see our teacher The boy looked and said, yes. Tommy, do you see our teacher's brain? The boy said, no. (laughs) And the girl said, according to today's lesson, our teacher does not have a brain. (laughs) What a great, cute story. But it gets at the essence of what faith is. Faith is based on what we can't see. If we can see it, it's not really faith. This morning we're going to look at Hebrews 11, and this chapter that's been labeled the Hall of Faith. It recounts many of the stories of the faith heroes in the Old Testament. It's a very fitting passage for this Memorial Day weekend. As a nation, we pause and remember the soldiers who have given their lives for our freedom and the privileges we enjoy as a nation Like these many wartime heroes in our country, there are many spiritual heroes in our Christian heritage. This is a a beautiful passage recounting these faith heroes of the nation of Israel. It talks about people who persevered in their trust of God and were faithful until their life on this earth ended. begins with creation, then goes to Abel, then Abraham, and Moses, and then to the many martyrs people who died for their faith in God. It reminds us that we stand in a long line of people who have dared to trust God with their lives. I love Heath's illustration here. It gets at at the essence that faith involves stepping out into the unknown, daring to trust God. This is a a long passage, as Christian read it. There's a lot here. I just want to remind you to be glad that I'm preaching this morning instead of someone else who I will not mention. But before I go any further, I, let's pray together. I'll ask for forgiveness from the Lord for that last comment. God, once again, we are just so grateful for your word that roots us in what is true, what is real. It reminds us who you really are. We pray once again, God, that your word would have power in our lives. 
we will remember, God, how faithful you are throughout human history, God. How you've carried these faith heroes to have a faith that would last to the end. We pray that for ourselves today, God. Whether we're new believers or just checking things out today, or if we've been a Christian for many, many years, we pray, God, that you would give us a faith that endures to the end. We ask, God, that you would do this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, verse 1 jumps right in with a very clear definition of faith. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. There's kind of two ideas at play here. First, faith is being sure of what we hope for. The sense here is confidence in things that have not yet been attained. Maybe a simple but maybe imperfect illustration is when a couple gets engaged, it's tradition that the man gives the woman an engagement ring. The ring is a symbol of hope and promise. This relationship is headed for more. It's one day headed for marriage. The relationship isn't there yet, but the ring is an assurance of love and intent for the couple to become husband and wife. When the, the woman gets the ring, she's probably thinking, man, he finally manned up and popped the question. But she's also given a greater level of confidence and security in the relationship. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. The second element here is faith is certain of what we do not see. Like the story at the beginning, this reminds us that faith involves what is invisible what is unattainable to our physical eyes. It wouldn't be faith if there was no sense of trust. My son Joshua and I have had a conversation like the following many times. Joshua will ask, is God stronger than Superman? I'll say, yes, Joshua, of course, God is stronger than Superman. Is God stronger than Clay Matthews? I pause for a second. Yes, Joshua, God is the strongest and most powerful of all. Dad, where is God? Joshua, he is everywhere. Then, Dad, why can't I see God? Two nights ago, he asked, Dad, why can't I feel God? It's the longing of a child to know for sure to be able to see what he's told to believe. And this is the tension that faith invites us into. It's a call to trust what we can't fully see. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It is a confidence, an assurance of what we long for but can't see right now. And the call to us as people of faith is that we would have this growing, steadfast trust in a God who is faithful, a God who is trustworthy. Faith is a big deal. It really matters. Verse 6 in Hebrews 11 gets at the heart of why this is so important. I'm sure you're glad that I'm flipping slides now. It says, without faith, 
it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This should really give us a bit of a pause. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. The text is really clear. You might have a sincere desire and passion to please God, which is great. But if you do not have faith, you are missing out. Pleasing God requires having a trust and confidence in who he is. You can serve in church. You can read your Bible every day. You can fast and pray. You can preach sermons. But if there is no faith and trusting in who God really is, you're missing it completely. You're lacking what really pleases God. God wants our enduring faith in himself. It's a trust that perseveres amidst the unseen of this world that we live in. This morning, as we look at Hebrews 11, the context really is a a people that are struggling. They're suffering. And the writer's calling them to this lasting faith. You've started well, now finish well. And I want to just share two points this morning about this kind of enduring trust in God. The first one is enduring faith is anchored in the promises of God. There's so much in this life that we don't know. Uh, People might ask us questions or we might ask questions as we kind of journey through life that are often unanswerable for certain. For a teenager, what will you do when you grow up? For a college student, who are you going to marry? For a couple that just got married, the grandparents are asking, when will you have kids? We really don't know. There's no guarantee. For a person in their 40s, what will you do when you grow up? It's kind of a joke there, so you can laugh. (laughs) But it's true. I mean, often we hit midlife and we're like, what are we going to do with our lives? For a person approaching their senior years, how much more time do I have on this earth? Life carries with it a lot of things that are not guaranteed. And yet faith calls us to bank on what God has promised Even though there's not much we don't know, there's much that we don't know, there are things that are certain that God has revealed to us. And faith calls us to anchor our lives in what he has promised us. I want to be really clear here. This enduring faith is not blind faith. It's not a faith that's random, without any guidance. For, for an airplane pilot, in the midst of a ferocious storm, where there's lots of fog and there's rain and he can't see what's in front of him, he's not randomly guessing how to fly the plane. He has an instrument panel, something like this. I have no idea what all these things are for, but I, I'm sure they're very meaningful to him. It's, it's trustworthy for him. It gives him confidence to pilot the plane even though he can't see. In a similar way, our faith has a basis. It has a foundation that's built on what God has revealed to us. And our faith takes 
God, we need to take God's word seriously and direct our lives according to what he has said. And this aspect of faith is highlighted in Hebrews 11. These people were looking beyond their immediate circumstances, beyond what was seen, and they were demonstrating a persevering faith in what God had already said. And one of these people is Abraham. And verses 17 through 19 says this. It says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a matter of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. You hear what it says here. Abraham embraced the promises of God. When he was 75 years old, God called him to leave his homeland. And him and his wife were barren at the time. And God said, one day you will become a great nation with many descendants. When he was 90 years old, he was still without that promised heir. And God renewed his promise and said, you will have a son. and Your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. But it wasn't until another 10 years when Isaac was born. Abraham was 100 years old when they finally had their promised son. And then what does God do? God gives him a test of faith and asks him to do the unthinkable. It's recounted in Genesis 22. So sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, who you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Can you imagine being in Abraham's sandals that day? My, my son Joshua turned six years old yesterday. When I read this text, it, it breaks me. God is asking you to sacrifice your only son, your flesh and blood, the child you cherish and adore, your promised heir. I don't know about you, but if I was Abraham, I'd be like, God, this has got to be a joke, right? You want me to take the son that you promised me and to kill him like the pagans do. And what's interesting about the scriptures is the Bible is not shy about showing the struggles of the faith heroes. Moses wavered greatly when God called him to lead the people out of Egypt. The Bible shows his struggle. The Bible's not silent about David messing up big time with Bathsheba and Uriah. But with Abraham, there's, there's no mention of that wavering. He didn't argue with God, but instead obeyed knowing that God would be faithful to his promise. What God said he would do, he would do. And it says that Abraham and Isaac went up the mountain together and Isaac is starting to figure out what is going on. And he spoke up and said, Father, yes, my son. 
The fire and wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? It's a, a piercing question for Abraham. And he answers, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Again, I can't imagine what's going on in Abraham in that moment. And just as he's about to slay his son, he has the knife ready, about to come down on his son. The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. This is incredible trust in God. Abraham was banking on the promises of God, the unseen reality of what God had revealed to him, even though it didn't make much sense at all. Hebrews 11 gives us a clue. It says, Abraham reasoned God could even raise the dead. And he was, he was certain God was going to step in and do, do something miraculous. God told me to kill my son. I will do it. God will be faithful to his promises. And it, you know, it's hard when you read a story like this. It's, a, it's such extreme faith in God. But I think we have to ask ourselves the question, how is your faith doing these days? How anchored is your life in God's promises? When Jesus says he will be with you always to the end of the age, he meant it. It's true. He will never leave you or forsake you. When Jesus calls you not to worry about money or the things of this world, but to seek first his kingdom, he's serious about this. He promises to take care of you as he takes care of the birds and the lilies of the field. He will provide for you. When Jesus says that God has the very hairs of your head numbered, he's telling the truth. His promise is that he knows you intimately. He sees everything about you. When the word of God says that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to us all. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He really meant that he will give you victory in temptation. Do we believe what God says? And maybe for you this morning, as you're, you're hearing this, you realize you've lost some of your foundation. You've lost your anchor in who God is and his promises. And I know it's so kind of cliche, but really the best way to get anchored in God's promises is to personally engage the Word of God for yourself. So if you're struggling in this area, I just want to encourage you 
to revisit your commitment to God's word. What does it look like for you on a weekly basis to get in the word of God and to take his promises as an anchoring point for your life? The second point is enduring faith stands opposed to what the world treasures. Something that's been on my heart lately, and we've been talking about this in our our community group, is how different are we than those in the world? Do we stand out? Are we distinct? As a pastor, am I any different than my neighbors? Two weeks ago, we were talking about the hope we have in Christ and the restoration of all things. And we were asking ourselves the question, do we have this hope in Christ? Do we live as hopeful people different than the world? The reality is this this steadfast, enduring faith in God will cut against the grain of our culture. This kind of faith will set us apart and will stand opposed to what the world treasures. The pleasures of this world invite us into this immediate gratification. And faith calls us to wait and to believe that God's way is truly better. Hebrews 11 highlights this aspect of faith through the life of Moses. It says in 24, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. If you remember the story, trying to spare his life, Moses' mother placed him in a basket in the Nile River. And he was rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. And she eventually adopted him as her son. And Moses was set for life, growing up in the household of royalty and riches in the land of Egypt. Yet God began to do something in Moses, began to build a life of faith in him. And he couldn't settle for the comforts and pleasures of the world any longer. And it says here, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses' faith cost him greatly. He was disgraced because he chose the path of faith rather than the treasures of this world. I'm sure Moses' friends were like, what are you doing, man? Are you crazy? You are set for the rest of your life, and you're going to throw it all away. For what? What are you going to throw it away for? We have to come to grips with the fact that our steadfast trust in God will look foolish to the world we live in. When the world finds out that you give 10% of your money away as a tithe to God, an act of obedience and faith, they're going to be like, you do what? You give 10 
10% of your money away to church? Are you crazy? When your coworkers find out that you're going on a missions trip and you're giving up a week's worth of vacation to serve and love people you don't even know, really? I don't understand why you would do that. When your friends find out that you're not living with your boyfriend or fiance, they're not going to understand why you don't try before you buy. In their eyes, that's just plain foolish. When you pass over the promotion at your company with lots more money and benefits because you're afraid of the time it will take away from your family and your friends and church, your coworkers are going to think you're nuts. You've earned this. You've worked hard for this. How can you pass up this opportunity? Faith will cost you greatly, but it looks ahead to the reward that will come. It says Moses was looking ahead to his reward. Let's, let's just be honest. This can be very hard to do at times. The waiting and delayed reward of faith is a difficult thing. I've been running over the last couple months uh, more ser- seriously than I have ever in my life. I can honestly say probably for the first time in my life, I actually enjoy running. It's one of the highlights of my week when I go out there for a run. And honestly, as I say that, I feel like, is there something wrong with me that I enjoy running? And all the expert runners say that if you really want to improve your speed and get better as a runner, you have to do interval training. And what, what interval training is, you go out for a run, and then in the midst of the run, uh, for a minute or two, you do like a sprint. You run as fast as you can, and you don't slow down until that interval is up. You go back to your normal pace, and you repeat that interval again. I can tell you with certainty, when I'm doing an interval sprint, I do not like running very much whatsoever. I was out there on Thursday doing intervals. I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? And when I'm doing an interval, it's this is kind of my mantra now, like, this is temporary. This is temporary. It will end soon. There is a reason why I'm doing this. There's a reward to this interval. It's not going to come right now. I'm not feeling it right now, but it will come. Over the last few months, I've seen the reward of doing interval training. And honestly, our faith might make us feel foolish. And there's going to be times where we're tempted like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is just too hard. This is too costly. I just want to remind us, don't give up. Do not let up. Our enduring faith in God will be rewarded. And the reward is way greater than the minimal sacrifice, the temporary struggle. At the end of Hebrews 11, it says of the spiritual heroes, in a way this is surprising, it says they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with with us would they be made perfect. And what the, the writer is saying, the something better is Christ. These spiritual heroes were waiting 
for the promised Messiah, and they never saw him. But we have been given the great reward, a relationship with the Messiah, the Savior of the world. To know Christ is the great reward of our faith, and it is worth it, my friends. As Paul writes in in Philippians, whatever were gains to me in my life before Christ, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. It's worth it. When we struggle in our faith, no, it is not in vain. There's a grand prize and purpose for us, and it's knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. And as I I close, I just want to share one final thing. We can become so focused on our faith that we forget that this all begins and ends with a God who is faithful. He does not change. I think sometimes we just need to stop and not try to figure everything out or analyze our faith and beat ourselves up. And we just need to be led to worship our great God for who he is. Not what he's done for us or hasn't done for us. Not based on our circumstances, but for who he really is. He is a God who keeps his promises. He is a God who never fails. He does not waver based on the circumstances. He is always true to his character. I just want to read one final scripture for us. Can you guys flip the... Okay, I'll I'll just read it. It's, It's Lamentations 3. It says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. It isn't about striving to muster up more faith in your own strength. It's remembering who he is. Remembering his great love. His compassions that never fail. His mercies that are new every morning we wake up. God is faithful. We need to anchor our lives in who he is. Let us press on to be people of enduring faith. People who with their last breath on this earth are faithful to our great God who never changes, but is always, always, always faithful. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are such a solid rock that we can build our lives on. 
even remembering the story of Abraham, who was willing to give up his only son, promised heir. God, we thank you that you gave up your son, Jesus, for us. We thank you for the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to the end, to the cross, and the victory over the grave, God, that we have new life in Christ. And for those of us who are wavering in our faith today, maybe hanging by a thread, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would break in right now. And that you would be strong and mighty, God, when we are faithless and we are weary and down and out, God, that you would pick us up and rebuild our confidence in you, God, that you would remind us who you are, that from creation to now to the end, God, you are always faithful, that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives, God. May we just rest in the victory we have in you. May we find freedom in our relationship with you, God. So once again, God, we thank you that your compassions are for us, God. They are new every morning. We thank you for your great love, your mighty power to save. We just want to worship you now for the great God that you are. So lead us to a rightful worship of you, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.